Dunce's Corner. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Brian Pedraza. I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Dr. John Weinert, and some of our amazing students. We are um, part of the theology program at Franciscan Missionaries of Our Lady University. And though this podcast isn't officially tied to the university, our experience of university life and the theology program is definitely what binds us together. So why this podcast? Well, I think there's two reasons that sort of form the basis for how this came about. A good culture of education is occurring at a university when students are talking about their classes, not just in terms of, did they like this professor? What grade did they get? Did they think it was easy? But they're actually talking about the thing that was being discussed in class outside of the classroom. And it's a professor's joy to walk by in, you know, in a hallway and see students talking about things like that. And we have experienced things like our own students, perhaps some of them even sitting with me here right now talking about which uh, facial hair fits which philosopher the best, um, perhaps the ending of somewhat controversial movies like Silence and whether the apostasy there was a good thing or a bad thing, et cetera, et cetera. And this is just a chance for us in this podcast to continue to cultivate that. Secondly, we wanted to create a podcast that would help our local community. We're here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and part of the basis of what we're doing is that theology genuinely matters for life in our community. And in some sense, this is actually part of the reason for the name, the fact that we're called the Dunce's Corner. The word dunce actually comes from Blessed John Duns Scotus. He's a late 13th, early 14th century theologian, a scholastic theologian. He was known as the subtle doctor. Uh, and by that, people meant that he was a man of many distinctions in his theology, which Dr. Minert will tell you are, is extremely important. But by the time we hit the 15th century, he and his followers were mocked by certain Renaissance humanists and reformers. And so dunce-men or dunces ended up becoming a word that meant someone who was a dullard, someone who was uneducated, interestingly, even though this man was extremely educated. So in some way, it's our way of reclaiming the importance of theology in our community that it really matters, and even making the important and subtle distinctions really matters. So with that out of the way, I want to introduce everybody, um, or actually I want everybody to introduce themselves, so we will go around and we can hear from each member of this Motley crew. So if you would introduce yourself, and after saying who you are, could you tell everybody what actually got you into the study of theology? Hey everybody, my name is Elise, and I am really excited about this podcast. I think it's going to be something really good for our community, um, for Baton Rouge, as well as for Franciscan. So what got me into theology? As a major or just theology? Because those, I feel like, are two different questions in my life, as well as probably some other people's lives. I'm going to go with major, I guess, because as a major, theology for me, I started studying Spanish at LSU a long time ago. I'm old. Um, and <laughs> I, I realized after God called me to discern religious life 
And then he called me back and I thought, well, I still love the language of Spanish, but I just, I want to serve people and I could serve them through missions in Hispanic countries, but I have to study about Jesus Christ. There's nothing that equals that is comparable to his body, to him, to salvation, to his love, period. And I have been reflecting on Edith Stein lately, and she read St. Teresa of Jesus, and she picked up the book and read it for a while and put it down and said, this is truth. And I think we all, when we have one of those moments where you're like, I'm chasing truth, and that's it. So I think that's a big part for me. Awesome. In the words of St. Teresa, solo Dios basta. Sí, gracias. Hey, y'all. My name is Allie, and I'm super excited for this podcast as well. Um, The reason I started studying theology um, was when I got into my faith as a senior in high school, um, I was really passionate about just like diving deeper into my faith. And when it came to the point of what university was I going to go to, my parents weren't really on the track of like, yes, you're going to go study theology. They just like weren't really big fans of that at first. And so um, I went to a different university as a freshman and went from history to dietetics. And throughout all of those um, different studies, I always found myself like not wanting to do that schoolwork and just like consistently wanting to like read the Bible or just stay in adoration all day. And so I was really praying and God was like, well, why don't you just study me? Like it's time. Like, why don't you like really sit down and talk with your family and just study me. And when I did, it all just like came into place. And ever since then, I've just been loving it. So That's awesome. Theology is genuinely the most useless degree (laughs) in the most Aristotelian (laughs) sense of the word. (laughs) No, really, it's a... You know, it's contemplation at its highest, right? And so, and that comes first before everything pragmatic. So, in that yes. sense, you can tell your parents it really is useless, <laughs> but they probably don't want to hear. I'll live in your basement forever. <laughs> uh, I'm really good at playing video games, Mom. People get paid for that now. And they do. True. They do. They do. That very true. <laughs> <laughs> so that could be your side hustle, Allie. Video yeah, game yeah. playing. Excellent. On that note, my name is Ansley. <laughs> my name is Koopa. <laughs> Zelda. Help me. I'm just kidding. I love these guys. So, like I said, my name is Ansley. Um, why I studied theology brings me back to thinking of conversations I had with my dad growing up about my faith that always just left me wanting more. I went through PSR, and I loved my teachers. I loved what we were taught, but again, I just wanted more. And when it comes to why I chose theology, I have to mention my vocation, because ultimately I do think it was a calling. Um, But I also think of a quote by, you can correct me if I'm wrong, St. Anselm, you cannot love what you do not know. And Many many a saint, but... um, Yeah, totally. Augustine, definitely. Saint anyone. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Um, and so I knew that if I wanted to really follow Jesus and know him that I and love him, I needed to know him more. And I thought that theology was the best route for that. I saw my, my dad's deep love for the Eucharist, and I saw my mom's deep love for the poor. And I said, hey, 
they are in love with something that is like amazing and I want that love and that love is Jesus for me. And I thought theology was the best way to express my love for Jesus to other people. So I guess in a nutshell, that is why I'm studying theology. That's awesome. You guys are inspiring. Genuinely. Hi, I'm Catherine. I'm a little less inspiring. I wanted to be an aerospace engineer for like two weeks in order to uh, please my calculus teacher. And then, <laughs> then I was like, ah, oh, this isn't really working out. Um, and that was senior year of high school. I think um, theology for me is way, like Ansley was saying, really, um, yeah, vocational based. Uh, the reason why I'm studying theology, I think now is just I saw this this lack um, or rather this need of just strong theological education, especially in high schools, just looking back to my own experience um, in high school. And I think that kind of pushed me into just desiring out of that, seeing that need and that um, that lack, I kind of desired this. Ah, I want to help that, right? I want to, I know I can't fix it all, but like I at least want to start um, the good so that's why I have in theology. Uh, I started out in philosophy at LSU, and then I was like, ooh, I don't. This is okay. <laughs> I, it wasn't really uh, floating my boat. It wasn't really, uh, you know, uh, filling all the desires that I really wanted. Yeah. If you, you could vibing. see me right now. It wasn't a vibe. It wasn't a vibe. Um, if you could see all my hand motions right now, we're just, we're going so hard. Yeah. And occasionally, do you still enjoy <laughs> multiplying matrices Yeah, for the sake of your calculus teacher? I'm so happy I never have to take any math classes again. I don't know why I thought I was going to be able to do math. Like, it's it's not that I can't do math. Like, I am capable. I'm smart. And I want everyone to know that. Like, I'm a smart person, okay? I'm not saying this for you. I'm saying this for me, okay? <laughs> But I'm smart. <laughs> Her hands are flying all over I'm awesome. the place. I'm flying I'm awesome. everywhere. I'm awesome. I'm smart. I'm good. I'm a good person. People like me. Okay. And that's why I'm studying theology. It's just to, honestly, it's to fill my own ego. I need, <laughs> I need validation, constant validation. <laughs> will I regret saying this? Maybe. The real but. question is, will Dr. Bedraza edit it out? Or, not? <laughs> or will he not? I don't know. <laughs> We're going. And how many people will respond? Yeah. I don't know. One, maybe two, but that's, that's on you. You are awesome. Oh, thanks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Dr. Minert, how did you get into theology? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to undergrad, I was going to study psychology. Then I was criminology, pre-law, and then theology. And I kind of backed into it. I remember going to undergrad, I wasn't really practicing my faith or anything like that, uh, but I was forced to take theology classes. And I took a, but I was also really into social justice. So I spent a lot of time volunteering at the local soup kitchen and with juvenile correctional facility and homeless ministry in Kansas City. And I took a Catholic social thought class, which opened my eyes a bit um, to the truth of the faith that the Faith is there, that our Lord is there so that we may flourish. And so when I came to understand a really Catholic vision of what the human person was and how uh, 
when I came to, it kind of scraped away for me a lot of the misconceptions I had about the church, which was basically that it was a white Western patriarchal institution meant to hoard and uh, preserve power. Uh, once I read the social teachings, I realized that was wrong. And although people had used the church that way in the past, that certainly wasn't who she was. And it really brought me back to practicing the faith. And so I studied theology because because it was true, because it changed my life, because it changed everything. And then I kept studying theology because I didn't want to live in a box down by the river. I think it's a van, but it is. <laughs> I remember going to my undergrad advisor. I was like, I'm going to be a theo major. I took Catholic social thought. This is true. It's really the only thing that interests me. I'm just going to keep going. He was like, that's great. What else are you going to study? I was like, nothing. He's like, do you want to eat? <laughs> I do. I do want to eat. And I said, well, I, I might go to grad school. He's like, uh, then you'll be okay. So I just kept going. Why not? And you're eating. I do eat. Mm. That's important. Sometimes. <laughs> yep. But you have the power to make it a choice. Like you choose, you know? Nope. Oh, no. Not even that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I eat when I'm told. Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm told. How many books do you have in your office, Dr. Minor? Somewhere between one and 5,000. <laughs> Rough estimate. Rough estimate. Yeah. I'd say it's closer to the 4,999 than it is to the two. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating to sort of revisit the ways that we got into studying theology. And it's true, right? There is this sort of um, conception of education today where it's like, unless you're doing something pragmatic, unless you're doing something that can earn the big bucks, you know, like why would you study anything else? And at least on my mother's side of the family, um, she's from Indonesia and, but they're Chinese. So they were Chinese Indonesians and first generation, you know, in the U S and the stereotypical, you know, Asian pressure of being like super successful, definitely experienced it. My grandfather, uh, would always tell me that I had to be a doctor or a lawyer. And <laughs> And, and you are. And <laughs> I <don't>. am. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it's possible, you know. Not only is this um, something that pragmatically you can scrape a living by, you know, and it, this, you're not going to be wealthy studying theology. I mean, that's just how it goes, right? And probably if you love the Lord and you love his church and you're studying theology, you knew that getting into this sort of a thing, right? You're not really after a, you know, a big mansion or anything like that. But it's also extremely important because it's, you know, Dr. Miner mentioned the hunger for the truth. That's really what you're made for, you know? And I think that's really got me into theology because to be completely honest, I don't think I really cared about life or much of anything until high school and it really wasn't until I was introduced to Christ. And it was through a Protestant friend who would drop me Bible verses like in my locker and stuff like that. And of course, in high school, you're thinking like, what am I going to study in college? And what, I, what am I going to be? And I decided that I wanted to be a teacher. And I think it's because most of my English teachers at the time were really fascinating. I loved the discussions in class. I wanted to teach like that. Um, and I think just the way that classes happened in high school 
the sort of classes I was in and the sort of students I was with, we really engaged in a lot of debates. I mean, I remember sitting in physics AP and we probably talked about abortion half of the time. And we had a really good physics teacher. He was awesome. And it, he made physics fascinating. But half of the time, because the class just went there, it was late 90s, people were talking about abortion all the time. And there were probably just a handful of us who were like, this is like really important to argue for and defend the dignity of human life. You know? And so it kind of pushed me to always be thinking about what really is true here, you know, like what, what really matters. And I think just carrying that with me and knowing I wanted to be a teacher, by the time I fell in love with Christ and his church, it was like, this is the thing I got to teach, you know, like I'm still hungry. I got to learn more and more. So really in the space of one week's time in my freshman year of college, I changed from being an English major to an English major and a theology minor. And I was like, oh, I can still teach English and study theology on the side. And then the next day I was like, I could be a theology major and an English minor and I could still teach English, you know? And then after that, I was like, who am I kidding? I just want to study theology. So forget all the English stuff. So anyway, that's how I got into it. But anyway, on with the show. What are we talking about today in this first and inaugural episode? Because we do want to ground theology in our local community, I thought it would be apropos that we would actually take our cues from the chief shepherd of our diocese, Bishop Duca. And I was browsing uh, the internet this past summer, and in June, the USCCB, the um, United States Bishops Conference, had their general assembly. And part of the assembly, they invited Bishop Robert Barron, who you know, f famous for Word on Fire and things like that. He's the head of the Evangelization and Catechesis Committee for the bishops, and they asked him to give some sort of talk on evangelizing the unaffiliated. And if you follow Bishop Barron, you know it's something that he's talking about all the time. Um, more colloquially, co colloquial, another colloquial way to say it, evangelizing the nuns, not the habited kind, right? Even though, you know, it's good to evangelize everyone, but the N-O-N-E-S, evangelizing the nuns. And Bishop Barron, during his talk, he said, he mentioned that when it comes to millennials, so we're talking, he put it the past 30 years, you know, give or take, but that's, you know, that's stretching it in terms of generations. But in general, he means um, people born after 1980, and even after, you know, another 20 years after that, um, Generation Z or whatever people want to refer to themselves as uh, these days. You're not even people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, do you like Gen Z, Catherine? Do you like that name? It's... I, uh, I took offense to whatever you just said, but I forgot what it was. <laughs> so that might be telling of Gen Z. I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. It's a, it's a I just name. think it's weird that other people name you, you know? Well, what comes after? It. Who's the next generation? The real generation? question is: it going to be like C? Microsoft Word? That's it. Mm. When you do outlines, does it go Z and then it goes A A? It might go A A B B B C C. Oh no! I can't be you could be the last single digit generation. I I hold that as a trophy. Yeah. I'll I'll wear a button. I'll have that tattooed on my wrist. That's very Gen Z. Nice. Yeah. yeah. All right. Some people want iGen. Do you like that? Ooh, I think that's a little more telling, right? Because we we grew up with 
technology the whole time. I feel like that's a little more appropriate, but then Gen Z. Gen yeah. Z. Either way, it looks cool. Sounds right. cool. You you know, tattoo for each arm. Yeah. Tattoo Gen Z. You tattoo yourself with Apple or Google. Yeah. Actually, that's how I make money. I'm not going to make money as a theology major. So I'm actually selling like my body as a big advertisement billboard. <laughs> right? So you can... I mean, currently you're doing it unpaid. So. I know, right? Well, if any companies do want to pay me to get tattoos of their like brands, you know, I'll Quote, do it. selling my yeah. body. <laughs> yeah. Theology topics. But in like a theologically sound way. What? Maybe... <laughs> You should do or, it in stages. Henna yeah. is a certain price. Permanent you know, is like, exactly. it better cost a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. There we go. You have to walk so many miles every day showing your yeah. tattoo. <laughs> but that'll get super fit too. So we're, you know, again, I'm not saying this for you. I'm saying this for me. I'm awesome. fit. I'm smart. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> According to Bishop Barron, 50% of millennials have left the church. Half. And I'm willing to bet for Gen Z or iGen, whatever Catherine will have on her wrists, uh, it's even more. Yeah. And then he also said one out of every six millennials is an ex-Catholic. And I thought this was shocking. Every person, for every person that joins the church, 6.45 leave. So you can imagine what 0.45 of a person is. But yeah, for every one person that joins, six people are leaving the church. And um, he mentioned that 79% leave before they are 23, which is really interesting. And in fact, the median- You still have time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the median age was 13. So, you know- too late. You're skewing a little late there. (laughs) And as for the reasons why they leave, um, Bishop Barron brought up four. Number one, they no longer believe the church's teachings. Second, a culture, a general culture of relativism. And by that, he really emphasized the fact that millennials and after tend to dislike strong religious statements, which dovetails, I think, well with the research of, say, uh, Dr. Christian Smith from Notre Dame. I've read an article from him in which he was saying those generations tend to um, believe that there's only two types of discourse about religion. The first type of discourse is private and with other people that share your religious beliefs. And the second is public and it's shoving it down somebody's throat. There's no third way, right? They just, as a group, tend not to think that there's a way you could speak publicly and charitably about religious beliefs. Podcasts. This is a private conversation we're going to broadcast publicly. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. We're Mm -hmm. breaking the mold. You broke the system. You thought we were keeping the mold? But we're breaking the mold <laughs> when it gets published. Third, a culture of self-invention, which is the sort of mindset in which people believe that they have the right to make up their own mind. They're their own self-creators, and that's what is most important. And then fourthly, the faith is seen as illogical or unscientific. So those are the reasons that he set forth, sociological region, uh, reasons. And then very interestingly, Bishop Duca, at the end of his presentation, stood up, and the way that he described what he was hearing was uh, an Emmaus experience, like the two disciples whose hearts were burning. Um, Bishop Duca, followed by Bishop Ricken. We have a few others. We'll try to get them in before 1230. 
which is the obligatory time when your stomachs begin to fill yes. in. So, All I was going to suggest is that this, you know, as we're doing this talk, and you're talking about these whole issues, I feel like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know, did our hearts not burn? I mean, there's a certain kind of, in, uh, kind of w waking up to this need. The conference that you talk about, or that w workshop at lunch, which had three prominent speakers I'd like just to suggest that it might become part of the actual conference meeting, and we give and we give and and that we also, although we don't, I know we don't like cameras, but if we produced it in a way, then that could be a resource for many people to listen in yeah. as a kind of workshop of the church. And so, with the bishops here inviting our evangelization committees and and lay people from out the world, really advertise that particular part to hear this message and hear this insight, I think it would be something that might be quite refreshing. And uh, we may have to do away some of the more typical things we might do, but I think it would be a great way to um, give a fuller presentation with more interaction of the bishops around this really uh, needful topic. So thank you. So what Bishop Barron was saying, you could tell, really impacted Bishop Tuca, and he cares a lot about this. And so for our podcast, hey, what better way um, to open things up but to maybe share some of our own experiences, especially since you all are part of the age group that Bishop Barron is thinking about in which half or more are leaving. So it'd be awesome to hear from you all you know, why are you such an anomaly, so to speak? Or in other words, why do you care about the faith? Why are you here when so many of your peers are leaving? Um, so for number one, that they no longer believe the doctrines, I think that's a huge thing because like they don't really understand when you really think about it. Um, I went to my old high school a few months ago. Um, I was asked to talk to the class about like sex, just to break the ice, sex. And the thing that they were asking wasn't like, what is it made for? And like, what does the church teach? It was, is this a sin? Is this a sin? Mm. And like, that's the complete opposite of what it's totally meant for. And I think the Catholic church is looked at so negative that like the hookup culture, it goes like completely against it, but for the wrong reason as like, you're not going to hell if you're in this hookup culture. But the reason that you shouldn't be in the hookup culture is because like sex is so beautiful and it's meant for like something way more. So I think a huge problem is that people just don't understand and like they're influenced from like the media that are also giving the wrong impressions as well, because it just goes back to people just not understanding it. Yeah. What was the church's teachings on the human person and sexuality? Were they impactful for you then, Allie? Yeah, they were really impactful for me. Um, I grew up and like my family was not really into their faith, but I always like held the point where like, I'm going to save myself and like never really understood why. And then when I did get into my faith and found JP2, Theology of the Body, I was like amazed, like, oh my gosh, like, Adam saw Eve for her soul. Like what? Not for her body, her soul. And I was like mind blown and like couldn't wait to tell people about it. And then when I do tell people about it, they're like, what? Really? I'm like, really? Yeah, there's more. <laughs> so. Yeah. He saw Eve for her soul as manifested by her body. Yes. Mm. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a reason that I... I think a big reason why I care about my faith is just my upbringing. I have a lot to owe to my parents and just 
um, raising me and my siblings in a very, uh, yeah, just a very Catholic world, right? Um, we were very attached to parish life. Um, my parents would pray with us each night. Like, it was very clear to me from a young age how important the faith was to my parents. And so that was something that was instilled into me. And that was stuff like going to Mass every Sunday, um, you know, again, participating in parish life. Even, like, things like on, yeah, on All Saints Day, like, dressing up as saints this when you're, like, 10 and you're like, this is strange, but okay, I'm here, right? Um, that was ways that the Catholic culture was just manifested in my own family. And then other things like my aunts going on pilgrimage and, like, coming back and I could see that something was different, right? I could see that something was different and they were changed in a certain way. So I think a lot of why I care about my faith is just my family life, how I was brought up, how um, my parents kind of passed down that tradition to me, which is a blessing, right? Like I – that's a privilege that not everyone gets, right? And that's something that I I sometimes forget, right? But I'm so grateful for it. And also my schooling, like there were just things that – yeah, that just made it come alive to me, like – like Allie, how you said like learning about um theology of the body would just like lit your soul on fire. Yeah. Things that I learned was like I remember being in sixth grade and my teacher being like, Okay, guys, so guess what? The world wasn't created in seven days. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what? Like, what? <laughs> what happened? You know? Um, and not being like scandalized by that, not being like, oh my gosh, does that mean God didn't create everything? Like being having the door being opened and being invited more into the truth and more like, okay, so that was a story. What does that story tell us, right? Mm. What does that um, teach us about our Catholic tradition and like how God created us? So yeah, my parents, my education, and also just personal encounters, you know, um, as you get older and you start to develop your own prayer life and develop your own, like realizing that, oh, Jesus wants a personal relationship with me, right? Like it's not... He's not up in the sky and so far away and so far removed. Like, he's present in the Eucharist and he wants to be present to us um, just in that very intimate way. Once I realized that and once I started to pursue that or just even be receptive to Jesus pursuing me in that way, um, you know, it changed things. So that's why I care about my faith. It's just very real to me. It's become something that is not only ingrained in me and instilled in me, but also it just – I see how it's true, right? I I see those connections, and it's just so intricate and beautiful and amazing. That's awesome. You know? So, yeah. Thanks, Catherine's mom and dad. Yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to imagine little Catherine and your, like, best saint costumes. Were you ever Lucy with eyeballs on a plate? No. Mm. I was Saint Rita, though, which is really telling because she's the patron saint of, like, suffering. Did you have a thorn in your forehead? I didn't. You totally should have, like, blood coming down your face, like, one thorn. I think I just had, like, a little nun habit on. There's a picture of Saint Rita in our kids' children's saint book where she totally looks like a dude. Wow. It's like, that is a dude in a habit. (laughs) I'll show you all later. Katie and I laugh about it frequently. We have a devotion to St. Rita, so I guess it's okay. St. Rita's bomb. (laughs) St. Rita is bomb. I have a little, like, keychain with her. Yeah. It would be a good conversation yeah. starter to get a thorn tattoo on your forehead. Just one. Yeah, that's the evangelization part of me. Maybe right Jesus there. will pay you to Maybe do that. Maybe Jesus. Yeah. I think that's Jesus. <laughs> if that's life. something. Because he does provide for us, right? Mm-hmm. He provides for us. Mm-hmm. So 
he'll provide the finance financial compensation, you know? <laughs> you know, something that you said, Catherine, that I, I think is important, at least in terms of my own family. Um, so, uh, I don't, some of y'all, most of y'all have met my wife, Adrian. Absolutely incredible. And we are raising some boys. And one of the things that I often think about is addressing now, or at least in stages, right? Like what it will be like for my kids to get older. And they're going to have to confront some of the things that, you know, their college professors might say or whatever, if they go to college, that are going to challenge things about the faith. Since Bishop Barron brought up in his own way the intellectual challenges there are for people who are leaving. And one of them is creation, right? And science. And seemingly, if you read the Bible in such a way that you are just um, superficially taking in a certain literalism, right? It's like, man, I thought everything was done in six days and then God rested. And like, now my professor is teaching me all the intricacies of evolution. And I'm like, there's no way this can be true, right? So, but in the Catholic vision of things, there is a way, at least in principle, you could say that God creates but he uses these secondary causes, right? Whether it's evolution or whatever it may be. So when I'm just teaching my kids, it's like, what, what's a way that I could like start this now so they start picking up on it? Because the first thing you do as a parent when kids start asking those questions is you're just like, oh yeah, God created everything, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like in, 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 and kids, when they, at first they're like, God created this donut. You know, I'm sure like they're imagining like God just being like, poof, donuts. And they're like, Please make more, you know, I'm ready for more donuts and stuff. But one day we were, um, I think we were visiting the lakes by LSU, one of the most aesthetically beautiful places in our community, right? And Joseph was like, did God make these lakes? <laughs> and it was like a good moment to be like, huh, yes, like uh, definitely because God creates everything, but God can use other things and humans to make stuff, right? So like... People totally made these lakes, but God was doing it too, you know? And like in his own little way, he was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. It's like, you know, with your Legos, right? Like you make things with your Legos, like you did it, but God created everything. So in some sense, he did it too. And, you know, I think in some rudimentary way, Joseph is getting that sort of a thing. So I don't know. It's, it's little stuff like that that I just, I think about what happens to those kids who like never get that. And then they hit high school or whatever in college. And then it's just like a shock, you know, like, wait a minute, everything my parents tried to tell me was not true. Yeah. Yeah, Because what happens then is they either like shelter off of everything and then they're not like, they're not in with like, ah, there can't be any other information except for the church. And that's the only information that's it. And that's not what the church teaches. But the reverse of that is that they can, yeah, just like, um. Walk away. Yeah. Like Father uh, or Bishop Robert Barron was saying, just like, leave. Yeah, peace. I'm out of here. Totally. A few things stuck out to me in this video. Well, first, Dr. Pedraza emailed us, and he emailed us about the nuns. And I thought the N-O-N-E-S, and I thought it was this new complicated Latin word. And I was like, oh, the nones. And I was like, <laughs> okay, here we go. What am I about to learn? St. Thomas, bring it on. Well, so after watching this video, first, one thing that really stuck out to me is that I think something about the Magisterium and the Vicar of Christ and the Rock of Peter really hit me. Because 
recently, Dr. Pedraza and I were blessed to be able to go to Rome through the university on a pilgrimage. And I got back and I was really excited because I got to touch the hand of Pope Francis. And I was like, just willing to show the picture to anyone and everyone. Like, you're out on the street here. Do you want to see this picture? (laughs) I'm really excited about it. Me and the Pope, Um, we're best friends. Yeah. It was, it's like the picture of the new creation, like my finger is touching his hand, you know? So I showed it to a friend who is not Catholic. And I'm like, here you go. Do you want to see this? Like, here you go. And her response was, well, that's just a person. Like, I don't understand why everyone gets so excited. It's just a person. And I was taken aback from my really excited cloud train. Um, and I thought, you know, I understand why she sees it that way in a way. Not immediately because of my belief, but I can see why she would see it that way. And so then I took that to this video And I think that people see the celebrity culture as if like, oh, I want to touch a celebrity, follow a celebrity, anything I can do just to like get them to retweet me. Is that how the kids say it these days? Yeah. Um, (laughs) And anything. I just want them to notice me. I think that they see the Pope in light of that. And it's just being built. It's being built by humans. But we know that it's so much more than that, and that also part of the doctrinal teachings is that it all comes back and it ties together. And there's so much beauty in being in Rome. We saw the history, and it's incredible. And Ate a lot of gelato. <laughs> true. Lots. So much coffee, espresso. Um, the second thing is the culture of self-invention. Everyone has a brand. I mean, everything, like... Everyone's trying to create their own brand, promote their own brand. Tattoo your wrist. I am brands, sell (laughs) their body for brands. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, we even have a a theologian over here, like selling her a future theologian. Like, I'm going to create a brand on my body. There's a market for it. There is a market for it. I will say that. (laughs) (laughs) But I was thinking about it. And I think, you know, in this kind of competition of Instagram and Kaylee Cosmetics and whatever it is... (laughs) I think that <laughs> I think we need to promote, which some people are doing, but I think it's more of the nuns. I think we need to promote the Jesus Catholic Trinitarian brand. Mm. Going back to the Pope Francis thing. So, yeah, what's a good way to navigate that? Because I, I think there is a, a sense in which you'd want to say the office of the Bishop of Rome is a thing that is extremely important. But each person, you know, who holds that office is going to bring different gifts and different personality things, you know, like there are plenty of people who, you know, just in more recent history, their favorite Pope is John the 23rd, you know, St. John the 23rd. And others are like, I'm a JP2 guy. And there are people who really love Pope Benedict. He's like made a comeback. Like he had dipped in popularity and now all of a sudden he's like through the roof. Awesome. Um, and then plenty of people, you know, they're Leo the 13th. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is that one of your faves? <laughs> yeah. Rerum Navarum. Woo. Um, Pope Francis, there are plenty of people who, uh, plenty who love him, um, plenty who are upset by him. And you could say that about any number of popes, right? So, yeah, I don't know. It's this interesting thing about our faith that people matter, you know, so persons matter. So it does matter to see. Like, not just, like, an abstract office with legs or something, but it's, like, that's Pope Francis. But also, it's the office that really matters in there, too, you know? 
Yeah. Going off of what Elise had said. Why are you guys laughing already? <laughs> Going off what Elise had said about the branding. Um, one aspect of my faith that I fell in love with was actually the creed. So just thinking about how me, Ansley, also I strive to be one with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I strive to be holy. I strive to be Catholic and apostolic in a way. Making I, your ecclesiology professor really proud right now. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it's like it's like the phrase, like, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Like, you know, the church is so beautiful and I know that my faith is meant to permeate every aspect of my life. And that's when I really started caring about my faith because it wasn't just like something I learned on Sundays. It was like, oh, wow, these topics are coming up on a daily basis, like from what I buy to what I say to how I answer questions, which I'm not confrontational at all. And so when people ask me a question I'm nervous about, I'm like flight mode, you know, like run. (laughs) But that's not what I'm called to do, right? That's not as Christians what we're called to do. So um, kind of wrapping up my thoughts, I know I tell my youth a lot at the church that I work at that either the faith matters like 100% or nothing, right? Like it's either it's it's one or the other. And so I I believe for my life that the faith matters 100%. And by that, it's going to permeate every aspect of my life. And that's what it's meant to do. That's what the church is there for is to give us guidance and to like gather us in mm. to permeate every aspect of our life, which can be super hard, but yeah. it's super worth it. And that's the fullness of our faith. Yeah. And it, I know, Ansley, you had mentioned that, and I think a lot of us could do this. You know, you're still friends with many of your peers who have left the faith or are now disaffiliated. So like, I don't know, when you think about that, like what made a difference for you, you know, like, You went through a lot of the same experiences that they did. So like, why is it different for you? It's a really good question. Honestly, when I think of my friends leaving, it really breaks my heart. And that's even listening to the the talk by Bishop Barron, it it breaks my heart in some ways just to know that like a life that is so full is just waiting for them. And it's just like right around the corner. But um, what made a difference for me, for me staying is probably that like, I've never felt more myself. I've never been a better version of myself outside of Christ. It's always been through Christ and through his church. So once I found my identity in Christ, I knew I wanted to get to know his spouse, which is the church. And I knew that I wouldn't be a better Ansley if I left. And I didn't trust myself. I don't often trust myself, but I didn't trust myself to just try to figure it out on my own. And like I had said before, like the church has everything we need. Like she's constantly wanting to feed us spiritually, emotionally, physically, you know, in every aspect. So it's up to us to like answer that call and to say yes and to be open, which Mm. is super hard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I definitely relate to a lot of that stuff of just like um, identity and just like, yeah, being a, being a Catholic and having a relationship with Christ almost it makes me a better version of myself, right? It, it emphasizes and it brings out um, the good parts of me and, and takes away uh, the things that are, you know, a little less good. Um, <laughs> but also just with like having friends who have fallen away from the church, I have um, a good bit of friends from high school who have just, you know, fallen away. And it, it, it breaks my heart, just like you said, like it's, you know, you know what's waiting for them and you know, like, oh, if you just like, if you just tried and just opened the door like a little bit, 
you know, or even just like a little further, like there's so much life and love and freedom that comes along with it. And just like a great longing for them to just know that. Cause these are people who like, I've, you know, I had a really tight knit, a tight knit group of friends in high school, um, who just, you know, we were with each other through everything and every like heartbreak that we went through. Like we just, we were like by each other's side. And so to now know that I have found like peace and love and comfort in the church and to know that they're still struggling is, is heartbreaking. And there's a, there's a sort of like tiptoeingness that you have to do when you're around them. Cause it's like, I don't want to, you know, like you were saying earlier, this like private and this public, um, these co- private and these public conversations about religion. It's like, I don't want to bring it up so um, aggressively, right? And I don't know, I don't know, my identity is kind of attached to like being a theology major because anyone anywhere can be like, oh, what are you, what are you studying? Oh, theology? Oh, <laughs> oh, okay, cool, <laughs> bye. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's very much a, a part of me. Um, and so I don't want the only time we talk, uh, the only times we talk to just be about theology, to be about Jesus, even though it's a very central part of my life. But also knowing that like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm their only like little bridge in. Yeah. It's a, it's a time. It's a place. I feel like in high school, if some things were a bit different, like if I had been, if I had uh, done a couple different things, I wouldn't be here. You know, I wouldn't be studying theology. Might be like on this weird kind of theology trend, like book in like feminist town. Not the feminism is bad, right? But these uh, sort of like Christological, like strange, you know, tangents. You I feel sound, like that's you sound like you're writing a research paper or something. <laughs> yeah, I might be writing a research paper about that. I also might not because that's complicated. Doctor Miner, you've been waiting to chime in. I can tell. I kind of forgot what question. <laughs> oh no. But it seems to be something related to why am I Catholic or why? Yeah, why do you stick around when half the people are leaving? Yeah, I'd say the majority – I don't keep in touch with a lot of my high school – old high school friends. And I would bet a lot of money that I don't have that they've left the faith. Even some – a lot of my college friends have stopped practicing. And, you know, we can go through all of these individual – events in our lives, people who impacted us, things we read. I mean, but speaking as a Catholic to fellow Catholics, I'm, the reason I'm, I stuck around when everyone was leaving is because God wanted me to stick around. I mean, ultimately, those people are in my life. Those teachings impacted me in a certain way because God moved me by his grace. And I'm totally undeserving to be here. And we should keep that in mind, that as everyone leaves and you're put in a lifeboat, it's only love. But God doesn't put us in a lifeboat just to be like, yeah, you know, your life's going to be great and you're going to go to heaven. It's going to be all right. Yeah. Right. He sticks you in the lifeboat to start paddling away and then go, um, and then turn your boat around and paddle back to the sinking ship. And... Right when God chose Israel as his firstborn and his priestly people, he didn't be like, yeah, and you can just, you know, hang out and screw everyone else. I hope they burn for eternity. Right? He sent them, you know, something like that. (laughs) I hope they have hot dogs shoved up their nose for all eternity. (laughs) 
what? Yeah. <laughs> That's it's a it's a good reminder. Um, even though we're talking about this because we want to help our local community, and I think there are sort of like practical things that we can pull out of even just listening to what you all said. You know, there's this speech that Cardinal Ratzinger gave on the new evangelization, which is aimed in many ways at this um, issue, right? And, you know, when people hear the phrase new evangelization, they tend to think of like, get the faith on media and do a podcast and I should be on Twitter evangelizing and things like that. But no um, evangelization <laughs> happens on Twitter. Yeah, that is so true. Um, but interestingly, Cardinal Ratzinger said, don't forget the lesson of the mustard seed. And by that, he meant that that seed, which seems so small, grows in silence and with nobody noticing. And in that, he was really speaking about the workings of God's grace. It's something that God has to do. And the more that we pray and the more that we allow ourselves to be receptive to his grace the more he can work through us you know, and do whatever his will is. So, um, yeah, we don't want to be um, Pelagianists about this sort of a thing. Right. But at the, on the flip side, we do need to have some things that um, we can take away um, that could be helpful. Speaking of which, what would you say? You know, what, what are the takeaways from the things that you all have said? I mean, I, I can give you a few just listening to you. Um, here are the things that came to mind as – you all were telling your own stories. One of them is evangelization and the importance of a genuine encounter with the person of Jesus Christ was mentioned by several of you, right? Like the faith matters because it's real and was revealed fully in the person of Jesus Christ. And apart from that, I mean, the sort of doctrines that you could learn, which are extremely important, it's like they're, they're like trivia to people, right? Like it's like going to history class and like, oh, I could totally memorize that for a test. But it's almost like it, you could so easily forget it, right? But it, there's a difference when you like know someone and you love someone. Like the, the way that I talk about it when in terms of uh, my wife, you know, if you've never met Adrian before, you know, I could say she has brown hair and green eyes and you're like, oh, that's cool, whatever. You'll probably forget it the next day, right? But because I know her and love her personally – you say that to me and it's just like, yeah, <laughs> she sure does. You know, like it just – like every every doctrine is supposed to be this uh, beautiful part of Christ and his body, you know? An another reason to to love him more. And so the encounter with Christ seemed uh, really important for, for a lot of you. And then also the intellectual formation, not to, you know, downplay it, but it's all connected, right? It matters when it's connected to that person. But um, – you all mentioned, like Ali, you were saying the encounter with theology of the body and what the church actually teaches. And it's not just like a bunch of no, 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 but like, here's this beautiful vision and it's freedom. You know, it's a word that you all use. Like, this is like genuine freedom if you encounter this and you live it out, which I just think a lot of people would not expect that. They wouldn't expect somebody your age to say something like that, right? Like the doctrines of the church bring you freedom. They make you the fullest person that you can be, the the most the freest person that you can be. I think that would be a shock. Um, and then the last thing I was thinking about was just the importance of families. You know, um, having parents who cultivate this stuff in you by 
making you dress in saint costumes and look really cute and stuff like that right like when it's happening as a kid you're like oh this is cool or maybe you're like this is lame but after a while these sort of like family rituals they you know they become like a a groove that make it easier to follow that groove like when it's time for you to like take up the stuff on your own and you've got to choose it so you know praise god for good families well, the first takeaway is that I never want to have hot dogs shoved up my nose. <laughs> I was thinking about that, and that just seems really uncomfortable. Yep. And well, it was a metaphor for hell. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so, so really, really pray and work. Pray in grace. Yeah, don't do actions. it because it's good. Don't do it because it's it brings because you of hot fullest dogs. of life. Yeah, Just no, because I'm not you're doing afraid it to see God's dogs. face. Yeah, that's I'm it. I'm doing it to avoid it's the hot dogs. It's all about avoiding hot dogs. The contrition of fear. <laughs> yes. Um... But what I was thinking is that at the end of Bishop Robert Barron's talk, he talks about the signs of hope. And interestingly, because this is, the statistics are so high for the nones, <laughs> they it's actually, in a way, it's uh, it's hopeful for us. It's good in a way. I mean, I know it seems contradictory. Why are you saying that? But it means that we're going to encounter so many of these people in our life, like wherever you go, wherever you get your coffee, wherever you go to school. Don't be afraid to talk. Be confident in what you've learned and what you want to talk about, like what we like to talk about in the halls, what we've learned from these great professors. I think we've all encountered those people who have entered RCIA because they have asked questions and encountered people who genuinely love Christ, and then they begin to open up these discussions. And if you can't answer a question, that's when I usually go, hold on, I have this great professor who I can ask this question or he can refer a book. But that means that these people, Bishop Robert Barron says that these people are engaging in religious conversation. So they are engaging in conversations about Jesus online, wherever they're, you know, so it doesn't mean that they how do you say that? They are seeking Jesus. Say it colloquially. Colloquially. <laughs> yeah. So they they are seeking something, you know, a lot of them. And so if we're there and we're open and receptive, don't be afraid to talk. I think that's something that we can take from at least the signs of hope. Yeah, jumping off of that, like, I think – yeah, everyone's curious. Everyone desires the same thing. Like we all want to be loved and we all want to be understood. And especially the the nuns, right? Um they aren't necessarily being filled in that way, but they're still curious and they're still longing. So I think it's just so important that we're open to engaging them where they are, right? Um engaging them in in non-confrontational ways, not like super in your face like I'm going to aggressively explain to you Jesus Christ or I will shove hot dogs up your nose, right? Like, that's where I carry hot dogs with me (laughs) wherever I go. He usually hits me over the head with the sumo when I walk in. (laughs) You see a trail of relish, you know, Dr. Miner has been around. Exactly. Yeah, but um, we shouldn't do it so harshly. Like, we should um, engage these people and their curiosity just with love and with open arms and just, like, taking baby steps with them. Not even, like – because – I know I have the tendency to just like, when someone asks me a question, just like floodgate of knowledge. Like, let me tell you everything that I know about this topic. Um, There are five species of anxiety. (laughs) 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 And 
that's really overwhelming, right? Um, and that's not what they need. They just need someone to hold their hand and then walk with them. I'm doing a weird thing with my hand. <laughs> that's not relevant. You can't see that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a lot of ways, with the nuns, we have a greater opportunity than we ever have before. Because with many of them, they're post-post-Christian. And they, they, they're they not hostile the way people who have made intentional choices to leave the faith for particular reasons or because they've been harmed by people who are Catholics or something like that. A lot of people are just kind of indifferent. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. So in some ways, there's a greater opportunity there. There's less um, volitional repugnance to Catholicism there than there once was. Uh, if you can overcome the sense that it's just an interesting museum piece, right? right. Yeah, because it's hard to teach someone who thinks that they know the thing. If That's they right. Know the thing, right? That's why twelve years of Catholic school has been going really well for most of us. Oh. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> A topic for another day, right? Anybody got a last word here? I'll just say one takeaway for me from everything we've talked about is to to not let fear hold you back from being an authentic witness of Christ's love and also answering people's questions and not, you know, like Catherine had said, obviously not giving them everything at first because that'd be really overwhelming, but in small tidbits, like walk with them and keep up with them, Right. Be comfortable with like becoming friends with and growing in friendship with those who believe different things than you and fall in that nun category because you might be their light. You might be the person that Christ has sent to help guide them back to the truth. Um, At the last university I was at, I was involved with Focus and what really like broadened my faith was a missionary took me and was like, hey, like I will walk with you in like a friendship, not as a teacher, not as whatever else. And I was able to like walk with a bunch of girls who were lost and like didn't realize like, like Dr. Munner said, were like indifferent. And when they would have these problems, I was like, well, did you pray about it? Like just slipped it in there. And they were like, well, why? Like, well, what do you mean? Well, why? Like, what, what are you going to like lose? And they're like, well, I guess nothing. Like, I think you're right. So why don't you try that? And then they would come and be like, I prayed about it. I prayed about it. I'm like, really? Yeah, and God helped me. I'm like, I'm so proud of you. Let's have coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Yes. Yeah. Let's have coffee. I like that. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Let's have coffee. <laughs> coffee is a reward. It is. <laughs> it, it is. It really is. There's too much of it going through my bloodstream right now. Cool. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, thanks for joining us. And you can find us on Twitter at DunsePod, or you can email us at DunsePod at gmail.com. Feel free to chime in with your comments and questions and things that you might want us to talk about. Hopefully, God willing, our next episode, we will have Dr. Abigail Favalli from George Fox University joining us. And that promises to be an awesome conversation. And we will see you then. Peace. Peace.